Hey guys, how you doing? This is Tevin from Testimonies for Christ. As always, it's an honor to be with you guys, man. Uh, this next podcast, uh, we're going to be talking about how to over overcome sin and addictions um, as a believer. And, um, you know, in this article, I'm going to be talking about um, a segue topic to, to kind of get us to that point. Um, and the reason being is because I have been seeing just drastic changes um, in the body of Christ over the past couple of years, you know, since I've been saved and I haven't been saved that long. It's not like I've been saved for 30, 40 years. So I'm pretty sure those who are older and more seasoned in the faith uh, could probably give a much different and a much more thorough perspective about the state of the church than I can. Uh, but, you know, really, in this case, I'm more so going off of my my own um, experience in a matter and. You know, of course, my opinion, of course, is going to be much different than others. But uh, mainly, you know, the reason I'm saying this because, you know, there has been a recent trend lately of Christians uh, battling and fighting against sin on all levels. And as you guys know, this has been happening with believers all since, I mean, since Christ has been here. This is not something that's new. Uh, but, you know, I got saved in the year 2009. Uh, maybe it was, you know, my limited environment, but I just don't remember the church being under such a heavy attack, you know, in my lifetime, like I have witnessed today, um, in my 10 years of being saved, I have seen so many transitions in and out of the body of Christ. And at this point, some of the people I thought were saved and probably not, uh, they're probably not anymore and have either denounced Christ privately or publicly, or they still hold on to his image because, you know, he is a rather convenient for them in certain circles that they fellowship with. I do know that believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit are gifted with discernment. But sometimes because some scenarios uh, seem too grand for us to fathom, I tend I know that we tend to overlook things and ignore what I believe the Holy Spirit may have been putting on our heart. My point is. There is a huge battle against sin and worldliness in the church. And the intensity has been pumped up to overdrive And from my perspective and my opinion. And because of this, we have seen a large amount of casualties in the church, which may not have always been bad because, you know, when you look at John, um, and what John said in verse first John two and 19, uh, he says that they went out from us, but they were not of us for if they had been of us, uh, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest or may maybe made known that they were not all of us. You know, so John is talking about, um, uh, you know, people that were walking with us and that they left or straight away. They were never with us in the first place, uh, which means that it is probably a good thing that false converts are made manifest for the further sanctification and edifying of the actual body of Christ. If we were to be honest, those who yield down Christ and change their mind about having him as their Lord, as Lord of their lives, they were never Christians, just false converts. If Jesus is Lord over your life, then you can't leave him unless he as your Lord and master allows or permits you to. He will never do that, which means that people who do that were their own Lord and only living in a facade as an actual Christian. A person can do this for 10, 20, or even 50 years. I don't think time is a big, big, that big of a factor. It's more about how long a person can live a self-deception, self-deception. And uh, uh, let's take a look at Matthew uh, as I'm talking about this, because when you look at Matthew, 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 18 and 23, it says that a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is honed down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits, you shall know them. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my father, which is in heaven, and many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and in thy name cast out many devils and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will say unto them, I never knew you depart from me, you that work iniquity. And this is Jesus. Uh, you know, this is what Jesus was saying to the people that had came up to him. I'm trying to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he said, depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. Um, and he makes it clear that there are there will be people that will say, Lord, Lord. I mean, have we not prophesied of your name? And that's why Jesus makes it clear that not everybody who says they are a Christian are actually Christians. And that's one thing that we have to clarify, especially as I'm talking about this article, especially talking about sin and how to overcome sin. Some people live the lives that they live because they're actually just not believers. And, you know, some of them don't know that. Um, so the interesting thing that I noticed about this passage as a young believer is that they use their works and their doings to justify their salvation. But Jesus used their fruit or their character of their lives and hearts to measure their salvation. The two statements he made was ye that work iniquity and I never knew you. These statements are so profound because he never said I knew you and you backslid or you strayed away. He said he never knew them. New in this case means to be made one with in the same sense of marriage. Some people courted Christ and attached themselves to Christ, but they never actually gave up their whole lives to him and married him. The main entity that held them back was iniquity or sin. The tone behind the passage was not a person who sinned once or twice. And that was the end of it. This person lived an actual lifestyle of sin. They never actually died to it or have become masters over it. As mentioned in Romans 6, as the power that Christ has given us as believers. And as you know, in Romans 6, uh, the whole chapter explains how Christ has given us power over sin and made us masters over it. So I am pressed to say that anyone who does not view Jesus as Lord and more powerful than their sin and shortcomings, they probably actually don't know him. I truly believe that the love of sin is the cause of this great falling away that I personally have witnessed. John 7 and 7 states that people hate and reject Jesus because they don't like what he has to say about their sin. Um, in, in Jesus words, they hate me because I testified that their deeds are evil. And oftentimes when a person is living in a perpetual life of sin, it automatically leads to callousness. And the next step is reprobation or apostasy. Now, some people abhor the idea of seeing themselves as false converts. But as you can see in the scripture above, those who were shocked, those people were shocked, too. They looked at their works and said, there is no way I cannot be a Christian. I personally believe that the false convert is created when we conflate the way someone received the word to their heart change and salvation. And Luke 8 and 13 actually appeals to this, this train of thought where Jesus explains the parable of the sower. These are four categories that we see the church in and nearly every church. You will have people a part of at least one of these groups. And that's why we must pray for discernment so that we do not assume that everyone is all right. 
Now, the parable is this. This is in Luke 8, uh, verse 11 through 15. The parable is uh, says talking about the seed of the word. It says, those by the wayside are they that hear uh, that cometh uh, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Uh, it says they that are on, on uh, that are on the rock. Uh, those are the people when they hear, they receive the word with great joy and they have but they have no root. And which for a while believe and in a time of temptation, they fall away. And they, those, uh, then it's talking about those who are abundant amongst the thorns. And it says, when they have heard, they go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection, but that on, on the good ground are they, which are an honest and good heart, having heard the word, kept it and bring forth the fruit with patience. Now, the explanation of person number one is that they hear the word, uh, uh, hears it, but the word was snatched away in order to keep them from believing and being saved. This is the person that at the point of evangelism, they cast the word off as trivial and they cast it to the wayside. Even the little that they had will be taken away from them. Uh, when you look at person number two, this is the uh, example of a person who hears it and it receives the word with great joy. The reason this is so deceptive is because many be, many people believe they are saved because of this and others do as well. Even myself, I have fell into this trap too as well as a believer. But notice it says for a while believe. This doesn't state the same exact time, but this uh, this doesn't state an exact time. But this is a state we are seeing a lot of the church in that while that while could be five years, 10 years, five months, five years. We don't know the exact time, but we do know that this person falls away in the time of temptation. The time of temptation can last for a very long time. No one actually knows. But the one thing that is clear is that this person doesn't make it out of that state because of sin over time. They throw away belief in Christ and they do not endure hardships and the depth of the flesh for them, for him, for Jesus. This person is not a Christian. They're not saved. This is very similar to the great apostasy mentioned in Second Thessalonians 2, 1 through 3, where people love sin more than Jesus. Even unto death, it was not willing to endure and die to it for him. And person number three is what we commonly see of those under the prosperity gospel's influence. Their heart was not softened to receive the gospel, but rather they saw godliness as a means of gain. They are going for, forth towards cares and riches and pleasures of this worldly life. The reason they bring no fruit to perfection is because they are more concerned with self-gratification and fame than they are with dying to oneself and taking on the identity of Jesus. And person number four is the actual Christian who have an honest and a good heart. After hearing the word, they keep it and they bring forth fruit with patience. The idea behind patience in this passage is because this person endures the hardships that the others have, but they endure it in a proper posture of heart, which means they are not upset or angry with God for their struggles or battles or hardship. Uh, they're not mad at God for not being rich or not being free of temptation. Not only do decision making and struggles show our salvation, but how we endure those struggles is what matters most. A prime example is the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. Most of them endured 40 years. They had to uh, most of them endured the 40 years. They all had to go through it. But some of them endured it differently. 
by complaining and murmuring and throwing fits at God, worshiping idols. The moment that they felt the presence of God was not with them or even cursing, uh, cursing and being upset with those who live right. They lived in constant fear, anxiousness, discontentment and distrust all of those 40 years. And the moral of the story is they couldn't enter into the promised land because they did not endure properly. Their hearts was not given over to God. And that's the reason why they couldn't endure is because their hearts was not truly given over to God. The mark of our salvation is not only that we endure, but it's how we endure. The way that a believer endures is with patience, joy, peace, wisdom, love, rejoicing in the truth and hating what God hates. This may be a tough pill to swallow, but like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13 and 5, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves, know you not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. So he's talking about Jesus Christ is in you unless you're a reprobate. If you're a person who's a reprobate, you're not actually filled with Christ. He's not actually living in you. Now, this is not producing a works-based salvation. This is simply using our hearts, minds, and actions to verify and validate the salvation we say we received. In common altar calls, so many people are told to quote Romans 10 and 9 through 10. After doing so, they are told they are now Christians. And this didn't begin to terrify me until I started to see so many false converts pop up left and right. It confused me. Because surely a confession was just enough. I mean, that's what you need to get saved, right? Then it dawned on me that a confession is not merely an initiation to salvation, but rather a, pro pro a proclaiming of something that has already happened. When a thief takes to stand in court to confess, he did not commit the crime when he opened up his lips. The crime was committed already beforehand. beforehand. The thief is only proclaiming or confessing what has already been done which means it would only be valid for a person to confess that Jesus is Lord after they have already received or yielded their hearts to him and accepted him truly as Lord over their lives. If it's done before this, it is just bearing a false witness and saying you have witnessed and partaken in something that you haven't. Most worldly people don't know better because they just do what the Christians tells them to do. And if a person truly believes like they say they do, then our actions will follow in accordance with their beliefs, as mentioned in Proverbs 23 and 7. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So this is talking about when, you know, they say you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. Uh, a lot of times people say, oh, I confess with my mouth and I believed in my heart. Well, if you believed in your heart, then your actions will follow in accordance with your belief. Um, as we see clearly stated in scripture. Now, this train of thought that so closely fits the narrative when Jesus says in Matthew 15 and 8, this people draw not unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The Bible doesn't justify people losing their salvation because the Holy Spirit seals us until the, until the day of redemption, as mentioned in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, in whom you have also trusted after you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom you have also after that you believed and you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of your of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession until the praise of his glory. And as well as Matthew 24 and 13, but he that shall endure unto the end, 
the same shall be saved. So I'm using this as a point to state that, you know, people can't lose their salvation um, and uh, people that do endure are actually Christians. But those who fall away and those who don't endure because of sin, they're not actually believers. Now, the reason I'm talking about false converts in relation to sin is because I believe that the love of sin is what leads people to being false converts, reprobates or apostates. If we look at Romans one, we see where people was given over to reprobation because they suppressed the truth about God due to unrighteousness. Because of this, these people had to have become callous and also given over to their lust and their affection. It was all because of their love for sin. Sin is the number one and only reason that people reject God. It's not because of uh, lack of evidence or uh, mean evidence or the lack thereof. It's not because of logic or science, but it's sin. It's, that's it. If you look at John 3 and 19, we see uh, that Jesus talked about he's the light that come into the world. But people rejected it because they love darkness or they preferred darkness. Here in Romans chapter one, I'm going to read you guys the scripture where it's explained how sin led people to callousness and reprobation. And mind you, I know that people use this in the scripture, say that this is a general knowledge of God. But actually, the, this scripture makes it clear that these people knew God or they knew who God was. It wasn't like they were just generic human beings. Uh, but if you read in Romans 1, 18 through 32, it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it to them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him, glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections for even their women did it change, did uh, change the natural use into that, which is against nature. And likewise, also men leaving the natural use of a woman and burned in their lust one toward another men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. Of course, with the women is usually ta is talking about uh, bestiality and uh, lesbianism. Uh, but with the men is talking about homosexuality, men sleeping with other men. Um, so and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, and whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, 
and disobedient to their parents without understanding covenant breakers without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death. They not only do them, but they have pleasure in them that do it. And this is a terrifying scripture to me. I remember the first time that I read this scripture, uh, it was terrifying to me because it really made me see how much sin infects people's heart and infects people's hearts that when God gives them over, he gave them over to what they had already desired. It said that God gave them over to the lust of their own hearts, which means up until then, God was doing things to try to retain or to hold them back from living in a state of callousness and reprobation that they were living in. Uh, but it makes it clear if you look, um, uh, when you look at verse 25, it says, who changed the truth of God into a lie? Uh, but then you also said, uh, look at the point where it says in 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Um, and it's kind of like a description where Paul says that uh, I believe it's in Timothy where it talks about there will come a time to where men will not be able to endure sound doctrine. Um, it's just not going to happen. And it's mainly because of a lot of people are callous and reprobating their thinking and in their mind. So for the reason why I mention all of this is because I believe that sin in our culture right now has bringing, bringing people to this state. Um, if you guys don't know, man, there are so many Christian artists left and right that are turning over from the gospel um, that were once supposedly Christian artists. And their music was somewhat sound, but a lot of Christian rap artists, a lot of gospel artists um, and people that was Christian celebrities, pastors, preachers, whatever it may be, are just turning over to worldliness. Um, and some of them don't even feel guilty about it. And I have people that I know personally that was around, you know, throughout my walk that, you know, at one point I really truly believed that they were in Christ. But as time went on, um, they're not in the Lord anymore. It's almost like a um, battling against him. But not only that, uh, they don't really view Jesus Christ to be something that is beneficial to hold on to anymore. And that's why you have to be careful, because not everybody gets saved because their heart has been changed and they're truly yielding their heart down to the Lord. Some people get saved because it's trendy or it's new. Cause I remember there was at one point to where people was claiming to be Christians because it was very, very trendy. Um, and it was very, very new. Uh, but those who are really in Christ are the ones who actually continue on. Um, and for those who do continue on and for those who do endure and for those who don't give up the fight and sin, uh, I'm going to be talking to you guys about, uh, you know, as believers of how to not only prove your faith by living right, but bearing fruit and living free from sin. So I, I'm going to give you four biblical ways as a believer, you can live a life free from unrighteousness. And it doesn't mean that I have all the answers, but I truly believe that the Bible does. And if the Bible have all the answers, then we can listen to it to see what it has to say. Uh, so the first reason would be realize that you do not have to sin. I know it sounds so basic, and every believer like, yeah, I know that I ain't got to sin. But I mean, when you think about how powerful that is, you really don't have to sin. I mean, one thing you have to realize is it is always a choice and you have been given freedom of the will by God to choose whether you sin or not. In first Corinthians 10 and 13, it states that anytime you are tempted, the Lord has also provided a way of escape 
just choose to take the way of escape. More often than not, it would simply be as easy as saying no. And other times it would be through prayer and leaning on uh, leaning on the spirit for strength and help. Anytime I'm tempted to sin, I simply ask God to help me. And every single time without fail, I feel strengthened and encouraged to do the right thing. It's just up to me of whether or not I choose to use that strength to take the way of escape or not. And as you can see in Romans 6, it states that you are no longer a slave to sin, but masters over it. Therefore, you do not have to obey sin. And as well as we can see in 1 John 4 and 4, that states that he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. So Jesus Christ is greater than the sin and the, the things that you are dealing with. So you don't have to yield down to those things. You know, and a lot of times believers that deal with a lot of addictions, uh, whether it be depression and anxiety um, or just different type of vexations. You know, a lot of times believers just forget the fact that, hey, Jesus is more powerful than that. He's a ruler and the king over that. He can free you from it. He has given you freedom from those things. Therefore, walk in that freedom. And it's like what Paul says. If you have been free for sin, don't therefore go back and yoke yourself back to the bondage of slavery by which you was just set free from. Uh, you don't have to do it. It's always a choice, always a decision. So the number two tip is sin always leads to more sin. So just don't do it. Uh, the reason Jesus told the disciples to be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees, because sin and false doctrine has a tendency to puff up into more sin and false doctrine. It doesn't get less, but rather worse and worse over time. Believers who do get who do gateway sins always have the tendency to fall into more and more shameful acts of immorality. It never stops. It will always set one ablaze and it will always come with its own rod of reproach. And as Proverbs 14 and 34 states, sin is a reproach to any people. And when sin reproaches us, we can't expect to see godly results from it. It will always lead to depression, anxiety, pride, shamefulness, lack of confidence, guilt, and most of all, more sin. So as believers, you must realize that you don't have to do it and that you are free from sin. So just say no, because it will always lead to more sin. It's not this, oh, I'm going to sin this one last time and then this is it. Uh, no, you're going to actually do it again with that mindset. It will always lead to more sin. You have to actually make up your mind to say no in that moment, especially since you've been given a way of escape and every time that you are tempted. So number three is the can't help it can be fixed. And, and we, I see this a lot commonly uh, with uh, believers, especially in my life. Uh, Cause I felt, I felt the full effects of the full effects of all of these. And these are things that the, the realize that I don't have to sin. I used to believe that, Hey, we're, we're not perfect. And we, you know, we're going to, we're going to sin. And so, Hey, let's just sin. Christ will forgive us. Uh, but the Bible makes it clear is you don't have to sin. And for those who are filled with the Holy spirit and have the heart of Christ, their desire is to live a sin free life and holiness and purity. If there are people who is trying to find ways for sin or finding ways to, to kind of use their Liberty for sin uh, uh, or whatever, I mean, that person is probably not a believer. Um, so, I mean, sin will always lead to more sin. That was the other part. Uh, I didn't never, I never realized that I thought like, Hey man, you know, this is it for me. And that would be it, but it will always lead to more sin and it will always set you up, set you ablaze for more sin. You can't put hot coals in your lap and expect not to get burnt. Something will happen. 
uh, you're not just going to walk away with it for, with the peace and the love of God. So the the point that I want to talk about now is the can't help it can be fixed. And this is this third point is so uh, major because I think a lot of believers don't realize that. Um, and a lot of believers tend to have the can't help us. The reason being is that their fleshly and lustful urges burn so strong. So they, they feel that they have to satisfy it. And this condition is caused by having a very large carnal appetite and a very small spiritual appetite. I mean, as you can see in Matthew four and four, it tells us how to fix this by reminding us that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It means read your word and pray. Paul tells us to pray without ceasing and to crucify the flesh daily. And we are to thirst after righteousness, not sin. We have the wrong diet when we are thirsting for more sin than we are for righteousness. I went through the darkest seasons of sin and depression as a believer. I never once thought that maybe it was the music I listened to, the movies I watch, or the things and the people I fellowship with, but it was. As well as the fact that I barely prayed or read my Bible around those times that I felt inflamed with sinful passions. The remedy was simply to read more, to pray more, to worship more. And over time, I began finding my uh, close to callous heart begin to fill again. And as a result, righteousness became more and more desirable and sin became less and less desirable. Right now, I am shocked when I think about some of the things I watched and said or indulged in as a believer. But an imbalanced diet will always cause imbalanced affections. So praise be to God that the tables have turned and to do righteousness is easy for me, but to do sin is actually pretty hard. And whenever I sin now, I feel like I have to force myself to do it. Whereas before I felt like I had to force myself to do righteousness. So it really was a flip of the tables and it was simply by reading my word, praying and uh, worship and just filling myself up with more of God. So only the Holy Spirit can help you. So pray in your heart that the Holy Spirit fills you every single day. Establish a life of prayer and worship and reading the scripture. And over time, your passions will noticeably change and you will begin to feel again. And one big thing I do that uh, I've been doing this for almost six to seven years now is that I listen to my Bible a couple of hours a day, um, almost every single day, some days more than others. No, so I may have Bluetooth headphones or headphones in my ear. Or I may have it playing throughout a speaker somewhere in our house. And at first it was hard to endure listening to scripture for, to, for such a long period of time. But right now I could do it all day without a bother, without a bother. And you don't have to always be actively listening, neither. Just having God's word spoken in you or in your ear or around you is powerful enough for your spirit man to retain that spirit and life that is being spoken. The biggest deception that I see with most believer, most believers is uh, will have is trying to obtain victory outside of the word, prayer and worship. And you can't do it. There's no other way you meditate on the Lord all day as much as you can read or listen to your word as much as possible and sing spiritual songs in your heart and on your lips as much as you can day by day. I assure you that your callousness and carnal appetite will slowly dwindle over time and eventually a fire will be lit in your heart to please God with all of you. So renew your mind and only the word can do that. And I kind of like what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter four. Uh, he talks about that you uh, come to the Lord with prayer, supplication and thanksgiving uh, with all thanksgiving. And he said that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall rule your hearts. 
Um, and also too, as well, if you go more down in that verse, Paul actually tells you as a believer, what you shall be thinking on, uh, all things that are pure, all things that are holy, all things that are worthy of praise, all things that are righteous. Uh, you think and you meditate on these things. Um, and even when you think about when, when the word talks about, I was set no wicked things before my eyes. Uh, those things are for a reason. Uh, they actually play a role into a believer living out a holy and righteous life. They're not just there for your convenience. Uh, so actually it is there for your convenience, but it's whether or not you use it for your convenience. So, and uh, the fourth point or the fourth key is the key is not suppressing the flesh, but submitting to the spirit. If you look at Galatians 5 and 16, it says this, I say, then walk in the spirit and you should not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So as believers, our job is to submit to the spirit. And by us doing that, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The simple ways to submit to the spirit is by prayer, reading your word, worshiping God with songs and thanksgiving and praise, as well as saying no and taking the way of escape in the time of temptation. All of these are acts of submitting to the spirit. And if you have truly submitted your heart and your mind to the spirit, you can't sin. So thank you all for reading and listening. Um, and I also pray that this word dwells in you richly. Deuces. Oh.